Good morning. Uh, it's been a sweet time of worship together already. Thanks for gathering here today. To those of you celebrating uh, Lunar New Year right now, Chunje Koila. Glad to celebrate uh, this Lunar New Year with you. Uh, we're going to do now what we do each Sunday. We'll look at a passage from God's Word. We'll talk about what it means and why it matters and what we should do about it. So if you have a Bible with you, if you would turn to Matthew chapter 9, beginning of verse 9, and I'll read our passage for us together. If you, if you found that and you're able, would you stand together with me for the reading of God's Word? Matthew 9, beginning of verse 9. Matthew writes this, as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew, yes, it's the same guy, saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me, and he rose and followed him, and as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, and when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, Jesus said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. So go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Jesus is quoting from Hosea here. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. That's God's word. May be seated. Let me pray for us quickly and then we'll dive into this together. Spirit of God, would you come now, illumine the preaching of your word. Open eyes and ears and hearts to what you want to accomplish. And then I ask that you would accomplish that purpose in each one of us, whatever that is today. And as I always ask, eternal God, you move and govern my tongue to speak your truth. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> well, I can still remember... Uh, Almost every detail of the experience, even though it happened over 40 years ago now. Uh, my family and I, we had just uh, moved during the middle of the school year from Campbell River on Vancouver Island to Kamloops up in the interior. And my brother and sister and I, we now had the unenviable task of starting in a new school uh, right in the middle of the year when all the friendships and things had already been established. And after a week or so in, I can still remember how excited I felt one day as I finally got the opportunity to be able to choose which PlayStation I wanted to play at first. You know, each week that you would get kind of like sign up for different things and I got to choose first which thing I wanted to choose. Um, you know, the, the painting table that held some appeal, puppet theater, eh, that, that could be cool too, but man, I didn't even need to think more about what I wanted to do because I knew the station I wanted to play at was the sand table. Sand table was undoubtedly the most popular, or one of the most popular playstations in Miss Hitchens' kindergarten class. And so when the opportunity came, I jumped up and I proudly grabbed one of those blue laminated cards to sign up for sand table, only to experience the, the shock and then the embarrassment when a group of boys who clearly had their hearts set on playing at the sand table quickly called out, no, no, because there was only a limited number of people that could play at each station. There was only five spots, and I had now taken one. And I remember Miss Hitchens, she was like, that's fine, Wesley, you, you, you choose whatever you want. Boys, he can choose what he wants. So I was like, yeah, I'm doing sand table. But... Um, yeah, cl clearly I had violated some kind of unspoken social contract in the classroom 
because as, as punishment that day, no one else chose sand table. And so I, at least that day in particular, I played by myself. I don't think it's overreaching at all to suggest that one of the core needs of every single person at every single point in human history, whatever it is, is the need for acceptance. It's to feel accepted by other people. You, do you agree with that? I mean, it's not, to, it's not to suggest that we feel like I need to be accepted by everybody. Everyone needs to accept me. I think we know that's not the case. And, and no question, uh, a healthy kind of emotional intelligence ought to leave us ideally at a place where we can hold that core need of acceptance without feeling like ruled by it, that I need to have it at any cost. Fair enough. But whether it's opening that acceptance letter to the university I was so hoping to get into, uh, whether it's that smiling nod when you ask her to marry you, or even just that, that welcome in the lunchroom when somebody calls out like, hey, you want to come sit here with us to eat lunch? We, we all know the, the euphoria of being accepted as well as the devastation of being rejected. And, and what I'm saying is I think that's, that's been the case for people as long as people have existed. And I mention it because after all the time we spent last week talking about the welcome of God in Jesus, as Jesus deals with both our greatest need for forgiveness as well as every other need we bring to him, I think what Matthew is showing us today in our passage is the limitless reach of that welcome, the limitless reach of it. And we'll get more deeply into this as we dig into the passage today, but what I think Matthew is absolutely showing us here is he's seeking to communicate both to his readers then and to you and I today that no one, there is no one who is beyond the reach of God's welcome. And that that core need for acceptance that every single one of us has, that's a need that can be fully met in Jesus and in a way that can never be taken away from us. I think that's what Matthew wants us to show, wants to show us here in this passage. But I think what he also wants to show us, like alongside of that, uh, is also uh, a really important warning. In, in the midst of this, Matthew's illustrating, not illustrating, he's, he's narrating his own call by Jesus himself. I think he wants to show us a warning here today as well. A warning to those who believe they have the acceptance of God, lest we seek to put limits and barriers of our own around the limitless welcome of God in Jesus. Lest we speak a message of rejection and exclusion where God has spoken an offer of acceptance. So in order to help us see those two things today, I wanna to look at the passage in just two ways. I wanna show you the breadth of Jesus' invitation and then the offense at Jesus' invitation. Okay, the breadth of and the offense at Jesus' invitation. So if you closed your Bibles, Bible app, whatever it is, you open them again with me to our passage, Matthew 9, beginning at verse 9. Follow along with me as we look at both the witness and the warning that Matthew wants to show to us today. Okay, so let's look first of all at the breadth of Jesus' invitation. We'll need to do just a little bit of work to get there because, and maybe you're asking yourself this question already, uh, with 2,000 years of history, not to mention cultural differences between us, it's not Im immediately apparent how this passage shows us anything about the breadth of Jesus' invitation. Um, you look at verse 9 there, for instance, uh, Matthew, uh, look with me, he just says, 
As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. He said to him, follow me, and he followed him. Okay, uh, that, that sounds basically identical to the way Jesus called his other disciples, his first disciples back in chapter four there when they're fishing, right? Jesus goes up to James and John and Andrew and Simon Peter says, follow me, and they leave their nets, they leave their father and they follow him. Okay, great, Matthew, he, Jesus says, follow me, he leaves his tax booth and follows him. Okay, so what? I mean, uh, are we saying that Jesus calls people from different professions? Is that the idea of the breadth of Jesus' invitation, that, that, that that's what's going on? Well. Yes and no. Yes and no. I mean, because yes, Jesus does call people from all kinds of different professions to follow him. That, that's, that's true. And yet it's in understanding the kind of profession that Matthew had in particular, as well as the cultural significance of being a tax collector in his day and age, that, that really helps us to see what I mean here. And we, we've covered some of this over the years at various times before, so I don't want to spend a great deal of time, but just to kind of quickly review and get us all on the same page here. For a, a first-century Jewish person living in Roman-occupied Palestine, a tax collector was pretty much the lowest thing you could be. Pretty much the lowest thing, lower than a leper even. And no, not because they were poor or more destitute or diseased than anyone else. They were this way because of tax collectors, um, even though they were notoriously wealthy and well-off, the reason for their low-despised position is because they were traitors. They were seen as traitors, employed in the service of Rome to help carry on and carry out, ultimately, the continued oppression and subjugation of their own people. They were equivalent to, as I've indicated at previous times, just to use a kind of more modern 20th century example, equivalent to Jews who took on employment under the Nazis during World War II to help categorize their own people as they were carted off to death camps. I mean, a leper was at least unclean because they were contaminated by uh, infectious skin disease. The tax collector was unclean by choice. You, you chose to be that way. Which I think understanding that cultural significance casts Matthew's description of his call by Jesus in an entirely different light. And also helps us see much more what I mean about the breadth of Jesus' invitation. Because Jesus' call of Matthew, it's actually, it's actually quite surprising and unexpected a thing. It's, you might even say it's scandalous. And it was surprising and unexpected to others. We'll talk about that in a second. But if you look at how immediately Matthew responds to Jesus' call and this massive party he throws afterwards, I think Jesus' call is also surprising and unexpected to Matthew as well. Because, I mean, that's the thing. As a tax collector, Matthew knows what he is. Right? He understands the implications of the profession he's chosen, and he's, he's come to make peace with that as much as anyone can. But that doesn't mean for a second that Matthew, that that core need for acceptance that every single one of us has, that he suddenly doesn't have that anymore. Even if he has resigned himself to the fact that other sinners and social outcasts is the only community he's likely to find that in now, it doesn't mean that Matthew's lost that need for acceptance that every single one of us has. So then, knowing that, just imagine both the shock Jesus creates as well as the desperate longing Jesus fulfills in an instant inside Matthew's heart as he walks by that tax booth one day, gets Matthew's attention and he says, follow me, follow me. 
I honestly think that, 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 that sense that someone like him could never be accepted by someone like Jesus is the reason for, it's kind of the backstory behind Matthew's just instantaneous abandonment of his highly lucrative position. He just drops it in a second. I don't know how we make sense of it otherwise, unless he just never imagined that Jesus would call someone like him. And actually, it truly was a radical departure. I mean, in Luke's gospel, he talks about Matthew's calling as well. And the way he describes it is leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And in helping us kind of understand a bit more what it means for Matthew to leave everything, commentator Leon Morris says this. He says, Matthew was leaving a whole way of life to follow Jesus, and the action was final. They would surely never have him back again if he later decided he wanted to return. Anyways, his lucrative position would soon be filled. Fishermen might go back to their fishing duties, but who would want to employ a former tax collector? So he really is leaving everything now in order to follow Jesus. He's given up everything to do this. And yet it was as if Matthew understood even then he was willing to sacrifice everything at Jesus' invitation because he understood somehow that acceptance of Jesus was worth sacrificing everything for. And I think there's a lot of different things that were shown in this passage about the, the breadth of Jesus' invitation. I want to just highlight a few of them. First one, I think, is right, the surprising, unexpected nature of Jesus' guest list, right? Who he invites to be on his team, because this is not like that awful anxiety-producing experience we all had in gym class growing up, where there was two captains, and they would pick the best and the brightest until they finally got down to the people nobody wanted and just took them on begrudgingly because they had to. Um, you notice that? I mean, it's not like Matthew was the last guy available that Jesus could have called to be one of his disciples. It wasn't just Jesus saw Matthew one day, and he was like, oh, yeah. Yeah, okay, Matthew, come on. I guess you're on my team. Yeah, but that, that, that's, that's not what he was doing. I mean, Matthew's actually not even asking to be accepted by Jesus. Not because he doesn't want to be, but because he thinks he never could be. Jesus is the one who seeks out Matthew and chooses him. Which means, first of all, for anyone who's ever been told or, or just come to believe yourself that because of something in your past or even something about you presently, that you were beyond the reach of Jesus' invitation, Matthew's got you beat. He's got you beat. He is the most despised, hated person in this culture, and Jesus chooses him. He comes to him and chooses him. He seeks him out personally in order to invite him, which is basically a guarantee to you today. Matthew's witness shows us that same welcome is available to you today as well. Something else I think we see about the breadth of Jesus' invitation is the unconditional offer of it. But no question, yes, Matthew walks away from everything in order to follow Jesus. He sees it as worthy of that. And actually all of Jesus' disciples do that. Peter later on says, we've left everything to follow you. But if you notice, and this is so important, notice the order of how these things happen. Jesus' invitation is not the result of Matthew walking away from everything. Matthew walking away from everything is the result of Jesus' invitation. Got to get that order right. It means the welcome of God is never a result of earning our acceptance before God by, by sacrificing enough, following the rules well enough, or whatever it is. No. That, that, that's why paying careful attention to this order matters so much. Because Jesus' acceptance... Meeting that core deep need in you and me, it, it doesn't cost anything. 
There's nothing you do in order to receive that. It's just what Matthew's showing us here is that Jesus' acceptance is worth everything you have to give. There's no payment first. The invitation comes before the sacrifice. Okay, so that's the breadth of Jesus' invitation. There's so much more we could say about that. Hopefully that's enough for today at least in order to just see yeah, the surprising nature of who Jesus invites, just to know like you're invited. There's nobody outside of Jesus' invitation and to see that it's unconditional. It doesn't, there's no cost involved in order to be invited. Simple witness of Matthew being, no one is outside of the reach of God's welcome in Jesus. The last thing I want to look at together with you as well is this warning that Matthew presents in the passage today. So we'll look lastly at the offense at Jesus' invitation. The offense at his invitation and, and the warning, as I see it anyways, if I can just kind of state it outright and then kind of we'll go back and show you where we see this, is this. Although the welcome of God in Jesus might indeed be limitless, those who claim to be followers of God can be in danger of adding limits of our own to God's welcome. So just the context of where we see this happening, look at verse 10. Uh, we see here that Matthew throws a party. He throws this big banquet in celebration of Jesus welcoming him, welcoming him in. And, and, and seeing as Matthew is basically ostracized by every other part of Jewish society at this time, I mean, who else is he gonna invite? <laughs> but other ostracized people like him. He invites in all the other tax collector buddies, invites in all these other people who, broadly speaking, would be categorized as, as sinners in his culture. These are the prostitutes, the addicts, the thieves. These are the people. This is Matthew's crew. This is his community. These are his people. He invites them in to this big banquet. And what's so beautiful about this scene, actually, this is really cool, is that rather than just ditch his community the moment he receives Jesus' invitation, instead, Matthew invites Jesus into his community in order so that they too might see and experience the welcome of God that they never imagined that they'd be invited to as well. And, and there's no question, yes, a, a lot of times when we first uh, receive Jesus' invitation, we come to faith, there are times, and yes, maybe we have to create a little distance between our, our groups, our communities, in order to just really establish a, a new life in Jesus. No question that's true. But if we're going to be these people who are ministers of gospel renewal, at some point in time, as we grow in that faith, we need to be willing to, like Matthew, invite Jesus back into our community. Because who, is, who else is better than you to show what that transformation from before Jesus to after Jesus than those people who knew you before? So that's what we see Matthew doing here. He invites Jesus into his community and he invites them to that same invitation. But here's the problem here. Now when we come to verse 11 and following, now we see is the Pharisees and the religious leaders of Jesus' day, their offense at Jesus' invitation. As Jesus invites in these people and he ignores what, what they saw as these limits that you needed to put around God's welcome. It was not just for everybody. There, there was limits about who can be acceptable to God and limits about how those who are acceptable to God were allowed to relate to those whom God rejects. Jesus is just like, no, I don't see those limits. I'm, I'm going to be right here. The, the central point of their offense uh, really just came down to the concept of contamination. That was really their big problem, contamination, which sadly we've become all too familiar talking about living through a global pandemic these past two years. We, we get it. We understand it. if you're a healthy person, 
you come into contact with a thing or a person with germs and viruses, uh, although you may be healthy, coming into contact with that unhealthy thing causes you to be unhealthy. We, we all understand that, and that's why you're all wearing masks right now. We get it. But what, what Jesus is getting at is that the Pharisees and the religious leaders of his day, they saw that concept as applying to our morality and our spirituality as well. They thought that spiritually unhealthy people could make you spiritually unhealthy if you hung around them or came into contact with them. So they hear about Jesus and his disciples eating together with all these unclean people. And we've got to understand, if you don't already, that eating together with someone in this culture is not the same as it is like in our culture today. Eating together with someone implies community. It implies acceptance of those people. So the Pharisees, they see Jesus eating together with all these sinners, these contaminated people, and their worldview just can't compute. It cannot compute or understand how Jesus could possibly allow himself to come into contact with all these unclean people without expecting that he's going to become unclean himself. And more than that, they can't understand why he'd even want to. I mean, just to give us a picture of how they saw what was happening here today, this would be literally like a doctor and all her residents coming in for lunch break into the COVID ward, taking off their masks, all their robes and everything, sitting down and having lunch together with the COVID patients. Everyone would just be like, what are you doing? You can't do that. You're going to become infected. That's how they see what Jesus is doing at this supper with Matthew. And so sure, yeah, you see the Pharisees there in verse 11 asking Jesus' disciples directly, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But as we see very quickly, they're not actually asking a question. They're making an accusation. They're saying your teacher is unclean and he's leading you to become unclean as well. You shouldn't have anything to do with him. What they're ultimately saying is that God does not extend his welcome to everyone. And in order to remain clean yourself, you can't welcome those kind of people either. That's really ultimately what they're saying. And this is actually a super common theme among religious people, uh, either in Jesus' day and in our day today as well. We see this all the time. Uh, and, and the problem, the, the theme that you see is this. Because they get the order wrong, the order that we just talked about where, where Jesus' invitation precedes our offer of sacrifices, they get that order wrong, then becoming, doing everything possible to remain pure enough, everything possible so that I can remain acceptable to God becomes the highest priority. That's the thing we gotta do above all, including being sure to keep out of contact with unclean sinners. When we get the order wrong, then we, we, we get our engagement wrong. And so, yeah, I don't know if you grew up in church or what your experience is with religion or whatever it is, but I can remember constantly hearing messages like this growing up. Uh, 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 I don't want you hanging around that kid. Don't mess with that family. You run with this crowd, you're going to end up just like them or worse, whatever it is. And, and the problem with, with statements like that is that to some degree there's, there's an element of truth to them. I mean, bad company does corrupt good character and all that. I mean... That, that's a saying for a reason. So I, I get what the point of that was. And there's no question. I mean, if I'm hanging out with people who live in defiant opposition to God's word, not because I'm trying to be the presence of Christ to them, but because I want to do what they're doing, yeah, I'm going to find myself in all kinds of compromising positions. I will. But when you look at the way Jesus responds to these limitations that the Pharisees try to place around the limitless welcome of God in verses 12 and 13. Look here with me. 
you see that you see the problem with this kind of excluding circle the wagons kind of posture to the world as Jesus just demolishes their limitations that they seek to put around his welcome in the same way that the ocean used to demolish those sandcastle barriers I used to try to build to stop its flow. He just blows right through it. But look here, verse 12, he says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. So go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. What's important to note, first of all, is that what Jesus is not saying when he talks about the well not needing a physician and his coming not to call the righteous of sinners. He's not saying that the Pharisees are well. He's not saying you guys are the righteous ones and because you, know, you and God are good, you guys keep the rules well, but listen, we need to help out these bad guys. Come with me and help me as we try to help them out. That's not what he's saying. Jesus is absolutely here. What he says, this is a condemnation of the Pharisees, as well as every limitation that they tried to put around his welcome. You see that especially in Jesus' quotation from Hosea there. Uh, that's where he's quoting from, Hosea 6, 6 and verse 13. When he tells the Pharisees, who saw themselves as experts in the scriptures, go and learn what it means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. I'm sure they, they didn't take that kindly that <laughs> you told people who thought they were experts in the scriptures you don't know what it means so go and learn what this means but but he quotes that because what he's saying to these religious elites who were seeking to place limitations around his limitless welcome is first of all if these people are really as sick as you say they are and you're really as healthy as you say you are why would you seek to do nothing to help them in their condition will you just leave them to die in their sins will you just go along happily with God's welcome and forgiveness Where's your mercy and compassion? And secondly, what he's saying to them is, your problem is that you think what matters most to God is your religious performance. You think what matters most to God is how well you keep the rules and stay out of contact with those who don't. But look here, even your own prophets clearly reveal that what matters most to God is actually not how well you keep the rules, but the condition of your heart. Why? Because God's acceptance isn't something that, that you earn in the end anyways. God's acceptance is something that is always in his mercy that he freely grants to those who recognize their need. And I think, I think the call of that rebuke to the religious leaders and the Pharisees of Jesus' day for us today is first of all to ask ourselves, where do we put these exact same kind of limitations ourselves around the limitless welcome of God? Where do we do that individually? Where do we do that as a church? We, we do do this, so, so where do we do it? I mean, just fill in the blank yourself. Ask yourself, who are the people? Who are the communities of people today that, are, that, that the church, broadly speaking, would label as the sinners? Who are the sinners of our day? Who are the people that we would say are outside of the reach of God and God's people would do well to stay out of contact with? Who would you feel offended to be worshiping beside this morning on a Sunday morning. And you know what, even if you in particular don't feel offended at Jesus' invitation to them, great. Who are the people in communities today that would still say they feel with good reason that they're outside of the welcome of God and outside of the welcome of his church? Those things exist and, and part of our job as a church and individuals who say we follow God is to make sure we're not putting up limitations that God does not put up opening the, the welcome of the gospel as wide as he does. 
And then alongside that, I think the second call of Jesus' rebuke of the Pharisees to us today is to ask yourself, do I know my need of Jesus' mercy? Do I know my continued need of Jesus' mercy? Because what the Pharisees were blind to and what we can become equally blind to over time is that Jesus' call to Matthew is actually no different than his call to me. Yes, Matthew was the most despised and hated of his society, but his call is actually no different than Jesus' call to me. And no, that's not to say that we're all guilty of the same things, but it is to say that the same prophets who said, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, also said, there is no one who is righteous. No, not one. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Which means there's, there's no such thing as a righteous person who stands guiltless before a holy God that got there by themselves. If you say that, that you are righteous at all before God, that happens solely because of the mercy of God to you. You are, to use that old expression, a turtle on a fence post. You did not get there on your own. Which is simply to remind us we're all in need of the mercy of Jesus. We all are. There's no one who's any more, in any more need of the mercy of God than we are. As one pastor said, that the ground at the foot of the cross is level. There, there is no one who is closer to God, more, more worthy of his mercy than anyone else. Just as we saw in the order of Matthew's call, uh, where the invitation of Jesus preceded any offer of sacrifice, so the mercy of God is not his response to your obedience. It's not his response to you making yourself acceptable enough. Seeking to live a life of worthiness is our response to his merciful acceptance of us. We began this morning talking about the core need of every single person, regardless of our time in history, our desirability, how well you keep the rules, whatever it is, our desire to be accepted, that core need in us. As we close this morning, I want to remind you that the reason Jesus calls the religious of his day as well as of our own to a merciful pursuit of others is because of this, that those who are recipients of his mercy are in turn to be those who extend mercy to others. And that's exactly what we saw Matthew doing in his response to Jesus' invitation of him, and it's what we saw the Pharisees failing to do because of the limitations that they'd put around the limitless welcome of God. Those who have received mercy are to be those who extend it to others. As Jesus said very clearly a couple chapters back, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. So what about you? Are you offended at Jesus' invitation as the religious leaders of his day were? Are there people that we feel like it shouldn't extend to? Are you content to enjoy his welcome while you deny it to others? an important question because I think here's the scary thing that we see and I think it's not stated but it's certainly implied from Jesus kind of rebuke of the Pharisees here what he's what he says in his response to them is that to be excellent at keeping the rules following God as best as you think you're supposed to and to not be merciful means you you may not actually have the welcome and acceptance of God that you think you do Pharisees certainly believed that they, they had God's acceptance because of how well they followed the, followed the rules, but they were outside of his welcome still. Could that be true of us? Paul tells us plainly in Ephesians 2, it's the richness of God's mercy alone that makes us alive together with Christ. 
But as you come to acknowledge, come to just sit in that reality that, that you were Matthew. I was Matthew. I, I was not at all deserving of Jesus coming by my booth and calling me. That we had no hope in ourselves of being accepted by the one whose acceptance means everything, but that in his mercy, because of his great love for me, welcomed me freely. When, when I come to realize that and recognize that, will you continue to live lives of offense at the offer of welcome that Jesus gives to those who are no more unworthy of his mercy than you were? Or will you, will, will we as God's church extend the truly limitless invitation of Jesus to all who will hear and come? And then when they do come, will we, will we celebrate their merciful, unmerited welcome just as Matthew celebrated his own with a grateful understanding, yes, that while Jesus' acceptance costs me nothing, it's worthy of my sacrifice of everything. As the Apostle Paul, an equally unworthy recipient of God's limitless welcome, later wrote these words, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things. I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own. But that comes, that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness of God that depends on faith. Jesus said, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Freely you have received. I'll freely give. Amen.